This is an oral history interview with Lou Ferguson for the Robert J. Dole Institute of Politics at the University of Kansas. We're in the uh, Dole Institute in Lawrence, Kansas, and today is Thursday, April 19, 2007, and I'm Brian Williams. Lou, let's start a little bit with your background. Well, I'm a native Oklahoman. Uh, two degrees in journalism from the University of Oklahoma and uh, after a couple of years working on a small daily news or medium-sized daily newspaper in Oklahoma I went to work for the Associated Press in 1960 in Oklahoma City and my AP career took me to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Kansas City, Missouri, and Topeka, Kansas. The first 10 years of my career with the AP, I was a sports writer for them at the major league level in Minneapolis and Kansas City. And in 1970, I went to Topeka as a correspondent in charge of the AP Bureau, State House Bureau, in Topeka, covering government and politics, elections, courts, all of it. And uh, in those 29 years in Topeka, uh, I covered all of Senator Dole's elections from 1974 onward. I didn't arrive until 1970, and he was first elected to the U.S. Senate in 1968, two years before I arrived on the scene. And uh, I retired in July 1999. And in retirement, I served one four-year term on the Kansas Board of Regents uh, as an appointee of former Governor Bill Graves. And I did not seek a second term because uh, my wife very badly wanted to move in retirement back to our native Oklahoma. And we did that in 2005. And I've, since then, I've lived in retirement in my old hometown of Ponca City, Oklahoma. So you you must have one thing I want to ask you is just you talk to you talk to me and not to the to the camera. Okay. Okay. Good. Uh, I'm just going to check focus here since you just a moment. So what was that change like going from sports writing to uh, political uh, coverage? Well, I've joked over the years that it was a pretty natural transition, really, going from covering uh, athletes and sports to covering politicians and government. Uh, a lot of the same verbs apply in, in both fields. And actually, uh, my undergraduate work at the University of Oklahoma was in government and politics because back in those, in my undergraduate days, uh, I had in my mind I might go to law school and so I was prepared to go to law school but I never went that direction. I went into journalism instead. And looking back on your career, was that a good choice? <laughs> I've, I don't know. <laughs> Most attorneys made more money than I made, but a lot of them didn't. And I know a lot of attorneys in state agencies and state government 
who didn't make very much money. So, but if money, no, I wouldn't trade anything. I had I I I got into writing sports because I wanted to be an athlete and I wasn't nearly good enough. And the second best thing was writing about sports, and that's what got me into journalism. And I realized one dream of covering sports at the major league level, and uh, frankly got burned out on that after a while. And we had two small children, and the opportunity came along to get out of sports writing and go into government and political reporting. And so I took that opportunity. The only regret I guess I have is that I never uh, worked in Washington, D.C. I've visited there, of course, and visited the AP Bureau there, but it, it just, it never, the opportunity never came up with the AP to go in there for a year or two. That's what I wanted to do once upon a time, but it, the, the, the AP didn't agree with my uh, theory that we could have been better state house reporters if we had had a little bit of Washington experience. Were you asked to go to Topeka or did you uh, uh, apply for that position? Well, uh, uh, the AP personnel manager at the time wanted me to go into New York and become assistant sports editor of the AP in New York. We had children at the time, two and four years old, and my wife and I uh, would not take them into that atmosphere. And so as an alternative, they said, well, the, the uh, State House Correspondency is open in Topeka. What would you think about that? And so I accepted that. And having stayed there, other than the fact you wanted to take a year in Washington, it that was a good assignment. To oh, absolutely. It's one of the pr absolute plum assignments in the wire services uh, in my time there. Of course, I, I feel like I was in the golden age of, of print journalism uh, uh, in the United States because, as we all know, newspapers are struggling and they may continue to struggle. And while the AP supplies news to everybody, newspapers, radio, and television, uh, I came out of the print side of it, and uh, that's the softest part of, of, in my heart is for newspapers and the print side of journalism. Is there any particular reason for that, just nostalgia or anything else? You got to write longer stories than the brief two seconds they get on in a television report. I, that, 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 that sounds uh, uh, like I'm making fun of it, but there's some truth in that. You, could, you can write analysis and uh, you can dig deeper into stories than three or four sentences. Uh, too many of my television colleagues complained too much, complained a lot over the years about that was the big drawback to covering government and politics for television is you just simply don't have time to get into any depth and really explain a story unless you're working for NPR and then uh, they have much longer pieces they can get into. So you were aware of Senator Dole before you uh, took the assignment in 1970, I would imagine. Oh yes. Uh, in the, in the fall of 1968, 
when he was elected to his first term in the Senate, uh, I was already living in Merriam, Kansas, which is a suburb of Kansas City, Missouri, on the Kansas side. That's where we lived while I was a, a Big 8 sports writer in the Kansas City Bureau. We lived on the Kansas side, and I voted in that Kansas election in 1968. Uh, and I, even back in those years when I was writing sports, I would pay attention, uh, at least cursory attention, to candidates for public office so I could vote halfway intelligently and and so yes I was aware of Senator Dole I didn't know a lot about him but I knew he had run for the Senate and got elected so what was your first encounter with the senator oh probably at one of the uh, the Kansas Republican Party has an annual get-together in Topeka called Kansas Day and it's 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 celebrated on the uh, anniversary of Kansas entering into statehood in 1861 and the Republican Party both parties have annual meetings like this and the Republicans call theirs Kansas Day and it's on the last weekend in January each year and my first time I met Senator Dole, I'm sure, was at uh, one of those Kansas Day gatherings, uh, either in like 1971 or 72. Just as a footnote, what do the Democrats call their... Washington Day. All right. Um, so what, what were uh, your impressions of Senator Dole uh, prior to the 1974 uh, election campaign? Well, um, he struck me as very competent, very ambitious, and already developing into a very battle-seasoned, tough politician. And uh, he, had, he had served as chairman of the National Republican Party during the Watergate episode, and... Uh, I was aware of that, and we had done stories about him when he came back, interviews with him and whatnot, and I knew, uh, and, and it, it, uh, it was borne out later, that he faced a very tough re-election in 1974. And uh, I will tell you that in either late 73 or early 74, uh, his campaign was considered to be somewhat disorganized, and he was fending off media and Democratic uh, allegations that somehow he might have known about Watergate and even been involved in Watergate in some way. It proved not to be true, but those were the accusations swirling around. A matter of fact, one of his nemesis was an attorney from Hayes, Kansas, named Norbert Dryling, who was chairman of the Kansas Democratic Party. And Norbert was a brilliant attorney and a great political strategist. And Norbert had 
a fantastic knack for hitting Republicans where it hurt with his verbal barbs. And one of his rumors he he tried to start, and to this day I don't know whether he was serious about it or it was just something he threw out there, but he said that the he started to rumor that the Watergate break-in tools had been found in Dole's apartment in the Watergate. Dole lived in the Watergate. And, of course, it wasn't true, at least to this day, to my knowledge, there was nothing to it. But backing up a, a bit, he... We knew Dole knew that he had he faced a tough reelection because of the baggage of Watergate and this and, and this and the Nixon presidency was uh, had pulled the Republican Party down. Uh, so through an intermediary who happened to be Alf Landon, I don't know how much that name means to people nowadays, but Alf was a two-term governor of Kansas in the mid-30s. And there was a Republican nominee for president in 1936. And Alf had sort of latched on to the AP correspondence for years to maintain contact with them to find out, so he could find out what we knew were go- was go- going on in Kansas politics. And so I inher- sort of inherited that, and we hit it off well, and for the last 17 years of his life, he died in 1987, a month past his 100th birthday. And for the last 17 years of his life, we went to lunch almost weekly. Alf and I did, and he was always pumping me for information in the political arena, and his great delight was if he found out something before I did so he could tell me about it. And he would chortle about that and rub it in. Anyway, through ALF, uh, I was approached to go to work for Bob Dole. And Bob himself called me from Washington during this process. I indicated from the get-go that I didn't think I was very interested for the big reason was I wasn't willing to give up an AP career and, and, and the security of that to go to work for a politician who might lose the next election and then where are you? So anyway, I ultimately turned him down, but Bob himself called me from Washington. I wouldn't say uh, really trying to talk me into it, as it were. He was more explaining what the duties would be and that he would like to have me and that sort of thing. But Bob was the type of person, at least in those days, that didn't beg anybody to do anything. He he was much more likely to tell people what to do than he was to ask people. Anyway, a funny aside to that story is that Alf was had a very fertile mind, bright guy. By this time, he was well into his 80s, but he still maintained a, a very uh, active mind, and he read widely, he read two or three papers a day, and he would read, uh, uh, do some book reading, not a lot, but mainly he kept up with current events. And he 
uh, he knew and I knew that a little weekly newspaper northwest of Topeka in a town called St. Mary's, the weekly newspaper was for sale. So Alf concocted this idea that I should get Dole to finance the down payment out of campaign funds or I don't know where, it never got that far, and buy that paper, let me buy that paper and then work for Bob and I would have that to fall back on for a career if Bob got beat. This was Alf's, this came out of Alf's fertile mind. Well, nothing, of course, nothing ever came of it, and I uh, told Bob, you know, I appreciated the offer and uh, uh, considered a compliment, but I wasn't prepared to abandon a, an AP career, and uh, he went on and uh, ran for re-election in 1974 and got re-elected. Do you think there was in Alf's mind or in the senator's mind that having you on board would be sort of damage control in terms of his uh, difficulties with Watergate and so forth? I think there was some element of that. He, in our con, our, we only had one conversation by telephone, one on one. Other intermediaries also talked to me about it, but I only talked to the senator once about it, and. Uh, I got the impression that he thought I could lend credibility to his reelection campaign, and uh, because the AP had a, a high degree of credibility in Kansas, I, almost every newspaper subscribed were clients of the AP and most of the radio and television stations. And by that time, after three years in Kansas, I guess I was fairly well known, or he thought, he and Al thought so. And I think that, plus they, I think they, he thought I was competent and I could do his, some speech writing for, he mentioned speech writing and helping uh, flesh out issues and just kind of keeping an ear to the ground and keep him out of trouble and and maybe come up with some ideas how he could uh, overcome this stigma of Watergate. I don't know that I ever how much I would have helped him or hurt him, but I will never know. But uh, that was my impression after talking to him and Alf and others of, of why he wanted me to go to work for him. I don't want to emphasize, overemphasize hindsight and whatnot, but uh, looking back on that opportunity that was placed before you, do you regret not having gone with the senator? No, not at all. Uh, and I'll be candid with you. I don't think I could have worked for Bob Dole back in those days. I knew staffers of his, and there were times he was extremely hard on them. Uh, a, a young man who... I guess he was about my age at the time, named Bob Miner, worked for Senator Dole in those days, and he told me some stories of things that happened on the inside, affected Bob's relationship to his staff that I don't think I would have lasted long. I would have just walked away from it. And that, that was a, a, a big factor in me turning him down. By this time, you were getting, or maybe from the start, you were getting front-page byline articles on political issues in oh, Kansas. Oh, yes, yes. So you were well-known in the community. I got a lot better known later because I became 
frankly, something of a... I stayed so long, you, you become a legend when you stay as long as I did. We never intended to stay in Topeka that long. I never intended to stay in that job that long, but our two children grew up there, uh, and my wife went back to teaching school there, and we just never left until after retirement. Before we leave, uh, or before we get a little deeper into the 1974 uh, uh, campaign... During the period 70 to 74, did you have many one-on-one opportunities with, with Senator Dole? They would have been, they would have been brief, uh, brief interviews or interviews when he came back. He didn't come back to visit Kansas a great deal, uh, and especially after the 74 campaign, it was rare for him to be back here because... As he worked his way up the Senate ladder, he had a pretty safe seat, and he didn't have to come back here very much to to uh, maintain contact. He had a very loyal Republican con- constituency, and I, he knew that, and he just didn't have to work it very much. Now, when he would come back for this Kansas Day event, as I've told you, uh, he would, you know, he was very friendly, gregarious, greeting everybody. And by and large, that Republican constituency loved him. I mean, they they highly respected him and they liked him. Did you do much interviewing of Kansans about their attitudes towards the senator? Some, not a great deal, but we did. I traveled, uh, made a couple of campaign trips during that uh, 74 campaign, and I'd, I'd, I would pick up, would ask people who came to his or, or uh, Congressman Roy's uh, campaign events, we would, I would ask the people who were there, but the, the problem with that kind of interview is that those people are there because they liked his candidates, so you're not going to get any, quote, dirt on them or anything negative. Uh, uh, but I never, I don't recall, well, I know I didn't, I, like I didn't set out and take a grand tour of the state to test the public water and feel the public pulse of what they thought about Senator Dole. There was polling in those days, you know, and, and I'm sure you've picked up from others, that Senator Dole trailed in that polling uh, almost the entire way. In fact, Congressman Roy went into the final weekend with a three- or four-point lead and then fell off the table in the last three days. Before um, we talk a lot more about that, um, can you generalize on the kind of press Dole was getting in the period 70 to 74, was it just uniformly positive, or were there pockets of uh, no, resistance? No, the, the, uh, the, the, there was a chain of newspapers, mainly in southwest Kansas, uh, uh, called the Harris Chain, after the gentleman who had founded the, uh, the chain, anchored by the Hutchinson News. And they were probably the most critical of Dole, not that they went out of their way to criticize him, but I think you ask about was there universal uh, praise of him or not, and 
No, I, I, I think it was mostly positive. Uh, what questioning there was of Dole's role behind the scenes of running the Republican Party during the Watergate episode would have come from probably from editorials, mainly in the Harris Papers and uh, a famous old editor and publisher of the Parsons' son named Clyde Reed. Uh, uh, Clyde could be critical of Dole. I mean, he, he was Clyde was a Republican and he supported Dole, but if he thought Bob had a smear mustard on his face, he would he would editorialize about it. Were there some Democratic-leaning uh, papers in the state at that time? One. One alone. <laughs> the Junction City Daily Union, uh, whose publisher was John D. Montgomery, and the reason I emphasize the initial is his son was John G. Montgomery, and so we always use the middle initial to distinguish between them. In fact, his son, John Gray Montgomery, is still the publisher to this day of the Junction City Union. But the older gentleman, John David Montgomery, was a big Democrat, and uh, that was the only paper back in those days that, that, that had a decided Democratic leaning of the daily newspapers. Now, I couldn't comment on the weekly newspapers. I didn't pay enough attention to them. Right. Um. So give me your recollect share with me your recollections of the uh, 1974 campaign. Well, like others, I think it did ultimately turn on the abortion issue. And uh, I could be wrong, but in my mind that was maybe the first statewide election perhaps in the United States that in which the abortion issue was was that big a deciding hot-button issue. It later became, of course, all over the country. It had not been much of an issue in Kansas up till then. Kansas had, uh, the Kansas legislature had passed a law in 1970 uh, allowing abortions under certain conditions. For example, you had to get, three doctors had to agree that the abortion was necessary for the life and health of the uh, the mother. Uh, that later got struck down by the courts who said they only needed one doctor to make that determination. Uh, so abortion wasn't unknown in Kansas until 74, but it had gradually grown. And Kansas' right to life in those days was the primary uh, anti-abortion organization in the state and they just came to prominence in that period leading up to the 1974 election between 70 and 74. I'm sure they had been organized before 1970 but nobody heard much or paid much attention to them and I would say like in September or October of that 74 campaign literature started appearing primarily in the form of flyers placed on the windshields of cars at churches, or evangelical churches around the state and Catholic churches, uh, accusing 
Bill Roy, who, who was a, a, a physician in OBGYN, and some of this literature was pretty raw. Pictures of fetuses in plastic bags, for example. And I can remember at a news conference probably sometime in late September, early October, asking Senator Doe what he thought about this and giving him every opportunity to either repudiate it or distance himself from it. And his, his response was, I have no control over what a third-party group like this does. So he would neither renounce it uh, nor repudiate it he didn't say, I condone it, I encourage it or anything, but he certainly didn't repudiate it and, and steadfastly maintained that he and his campaign had no, were behind it in no way whatsoever. But uh, it certainly benefited him, and as the campaign drumbeat uh, uh, quickened in October, in my recollection, uh, the uh, Kansas right to life became more and more vocal, anti-Roy. Uh, as a matter of fact, painting him in, by word of mouth and behind the scenes as being one of the state's leading abortionists. And in fact, he was not, as I'm sure he told you. I, uh, I don't want to characterize what he did. He may have performed a hand or a few abortions, but and, and there may have been others performed in the in the partnership he had he uh, in which he was involved in Topeka, but certainly he wasn't quote in my mind he wasn't an abortionist, but that's the way they painted him, and as I mentioned, uh, Dole trailed almost in the polling almost that entire campaign, and. It wasn't only the abortion issue that, that, that beat Roy, in my opinion. It was the fact that he was on the liberal side as far as Kansas politics are concerned, and that play certainly paid into it. Uh, Bill had both uh, degrees in uh, medicine and law, and he would tout that. And it's been my experience in politics that the more you uh, advertise and emphasize how highly educated and how brilliant you are, the, the more you go down with voters. Voters like people like themselves. And after my years of observation, people vote overwhelmingly how they feel about a person. You have... 30% that are going to support Senator Dole no matter what or whatever the percentage is. You're going to have 30% who wouldn't vote for him for a dog catcher, as the old saying goes. And it's the 40% in the middle who aren't that passionate one way or the other. And my observation, they overwhelmingly vote about how, they, how the likability factor and issues mean very little to them, I don't think. Or as long as, a, you know, as long as they're not a hunter and some guy saying, some candidate's saying, well, I'm going to take all the shotguns and rifles away from the hunters, then they're going to oppose the guy. But 
so Roy's personality played into it, uh, and and the abortion thing. But the abortion thing, in my opinion, was really what tipped the scales finally in Dole's favor. Now, following your line of reasoning here, Dole must then have looked much more familiar and likable to people. Well, I don't know how about likability, but he certainly uh, came across as more in tune with a majority of Kansans politically, where they were on the political spectrum, on the, uh, I would, Bob Dole wasn't, Bob Dole didn't come across as, uh, you know, a, an extreme conservative, and it, by today's standards, he would have been, he's really, mid, he was really middle of the road. Back then, he was considered conservative, and I think he called himself conservative, but Bill Roy was so much more, the contrast was obvious, between the between Bob Dole, the conservative, and Bill Roy, the liberal, and I think in the final analysis, a lot of this these swing group voters in the middle just came down on the side that Bill Roy was just a little too liberal for them, and then and then the abortion thing swung some others. How did the Vietnam War play out in that campaign? Don't remember it ever being an issue. In all honesty. Don't remember it, but uh, well, uh, didn't it end with Nixon's right after Nixon resigned in '74, in August '74? Dr. Roy had said that he'd been fairly outspoken in his opposition to the war, and so I just wondered if that came up too. I have no recollection of Congressman Roy making that certainly not a central issue in his campaign. And in my mind, I don't even remember it being a major issue. Now, I could be wrong, and and I'll stand corrected. If if Bill said it, I won't quarrel with him. Um, Was it a surprise that he became the Democratic nominee? No. You got to remember how uh, uh, minority the minority status of Democrats in Kansas, and a, a Democrat first place they only they've had the the number of Democratic congressmen you can name in this state's history you can put on two hands maybe one I, I'd have to tally them up. And they've never had a Democratic senator from Kansas. So a sitting Democratic congressman running for the U.S. Senate was entirely logical. And I, I don't remember that. I don't think Bill even had a primary opponent. If he did, it was somebody so uh, minor, you know, that they had no chance against him. Um, Democrats in general in Kansas have very few political stars and therefore very seldom do they have a major primary fight over any statewide or congressional nomination. 
there have been a handful, but not very often do they so. And, and I'm, there was nobody in the Democratic Party, if Bill Roy wanted to run for the U.S. Senate, there was nobody going to challenge him for it. What was his reputation like as a representative? Well, I think it was solid. Uh, he, he defeated a longtime uh, congressman from Atchison, Kansas, which is way up in the northeast corner of the state, like 50, 60, 70 miles north of Kansas City, uh, who got complacent, didn't run a very good campaign, thought he could just announce he was running for re-election and that was that. And Bill sort of snuck up on him and beat him uh, in 1970. And it was a big surprise when this incumbent got beat. And uh, uh, Bill had good constituent services. He came back, he paid attention to the district. And I think he was in pretty good stead with second district voters by the time he ran for the United States Senate, but I don't think he was very well known at all around the rest of the state. And in, in, in the big uh, voter blocks of Wichita and suburban Kansas City, I don't think he was very well known, and that, that probably hurt him. But uh, I'd have to go back and check the figures to see how well he did against uh, Senator Dole in those two big uh, voting areas, population areas. Did any newspaper in the, in the state take on the issue of, of the abortion uh, pamphlets and so forth? I mean, did that become controversial? A couple of the Harris papers, Hutchinson and I think Salina took note of it, but I have no recollection of the Kansas City Star or the Wichita Eagle or the, or the Topeka paper uh, editorializing that this was good, bad, or indifferent, this abortion issue raising its head. Other report, I'll be frank with you, other reporters, even for the Eagle, the Wichita Eagle and Kansas City Star, virtually ignored that issue. They just didn't pick up on it uh, coming down the coming down the stretch. And I, I recall Roe v. Wade had, had uh, occurred in 1973, so right. that gave some background to this, but right. still it was not a hot issue well, in, not, from not the viewpoint in, of the press. Not in their minds, it wasn't. And I, to this day, I don't know why, but the AP emphasized it much more than the newspapers did. And that's reason... Uh, Senator Dole wasn't very happy with me personally or the AP in general because we were reporting uh, about this issue and that he wouldn't disavow himself of their tactics. And as a matter of fact, election night, uh, I was in, I and my colleagues covering the election, we were in Kansas City, Missouri because back in, those were the uh, days of uh, emphasy days of computerized vote tallying and the Kansas Sec uh, the Kansas Secretary of State's office wasn't computerized yet they still counted votes the old-fashioned way of a county clerk calling in when all the votes were counted and adding them up on a tablet 
and we computerized it, in, and we were in Kansas City because that's where the computer was that the AP used. And uh, so after it, uh, Senator Dole finally won, and he was he was making a victory statement at the downtown Ramada in Topeka, and uh, a victory statement to his followers who were there and the press people who were there. And I called to get a reaction from him. And whoever answered the phone, he, these were, I was told these were his exact words, if that's Lou Ferguson, hang up. <laughs> so I never got any comment out of him that night. Now, you said the AP was picking up on the uh, abortion issue. Who was, who was running your stories? I was, most of them. And we didn't write it every day, but when we would write uh, from some event, uh, we would throw in, I would throw in there that this was an issue and that the right to life, because they, they didn't, there was no disclaimer on their, their flyers that they put on the windshields. They signed... Kansas right to life on it they weren't trying to it it, uh, it was there wasn't anything subversive about it they were open about it that they were doing it and they were doing it to defeat Bill Roy and this story wasn't being picked up in other parts of the country well the AP papers would would carry our stuff uh, no other parts of the country no I don't I wasn't in other parts of the country but I don't think Nobody focused on a senatorial election in Kansas. Bob Dole hadn't risen to that level yet in the Republican Senate hierarchy to where they would pay that much attention to Kansas. Now later, of course in 1980 and uh, 86, Dole had, you know, only just the most token opposition and they would mention that Yes, Senator Dole won another six years, but that would be about it. They, nobody came out here and covered the campaign or anything. And we didn't cover it near like 74 was probably the biggest campaign in my years in Topeka. But it was not notable outside of Kansas? Not to my knowledge, no. Our people, our New York and Washington people didn't call out here and say, how's that race between Dole and Roy going and what are the issues, there was none of that like there were in, in later years. Now there was another issue used against Roy and that was the AWOL charge. Mm -hmm. Do you have any comments on that? Uh, AWOL from what? Well, Because uh, I don't remember that. Oh, well, the claim was that uh, that he was uh, AWOL on Veterans Matters. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't know what issue you referred to. Well, yeah, that was, uh, Dole used that, of course, because of his support on, strong support for and his interest in veterans issues, but I, I don't know, maybe Bill thinks it was a, a, a big issue. I, in my thinking back in my mind, it, it was an issue, but it wasn't a big issue to my mind. The big issues was how liberal is Bill Roy and how many abortions has he or has he not performed. Uh, 
trying to think if there's any. Those were by far the two overwhelming issues in that campaign, in my judgment. And Dr. Roy uh, emphasizes the abortion issue, but maybe doesn't uh, agree with you on, on the other matter? I guess if he, if he says they attacked him for being AWOL on veterans' issues, I'll take his word for it, but I do not remember that being a major issue. Right. So let's see, the next uh, um, race, um, well, the next big dole story was the VP. He was the vice presidential candidate. Do you have any recollections about that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, uh, Dole declared for president in 1988 in his hometown of Russell, Kansas. No, I, I'm, I'm asking you about the uh, 76 run as the vice presidential, Ford's vice presidential candidate. Right, right. Okay, my recollection of that is uh, I was... Uh, Nobody expected him to pick Dole, in my knowledge, to my knowledge. Nobody expected him to pick, and I certainly did not. The convention was virtually over, and I was down in the basement of the Muehlbach Hotel in Kansas City buying some convention uh, memorabilia for my children. When I saw on one of the vendors had a little TV set there, and I saw on there they said he's picked Bob Dole. I wasn't even at the convention center. Of course, nobody else was either because this announcement came from another hotel down on the plaza. And uh, so I thought, you know, I gulped hard, and I thought, my gosh, where'd I better go? Well, I went to where the Kansas delegation was staying at a... At a uh, actually kind of a seedy motel down by the river uh, north of the downtown area. So I went there to see who was around to get reaction from them Uh, because I knew no reporter was going to, maybe some of the top dogs from the networks and the AP and UPI might get invited up to interview Dole or whatever, but I certainly wasn't going to as a correspondent from Topeka. So I went and uh, sure enough found Dole's sister and his daughter Robin were at the motel, and they didn't even know it yet. So I broke the news to them and got comments from them, and of course they thought that was great and uh, then the, the, that night, convention reconvened and nominated, formally nominated Dole. And then he, I was asked to go on the campaign trail and cover him as part of the AP team. And uh, I declined because I knew what those guys went through that, that followed those candidates. Boy, that you talk about uh, a grinder. You're handed... A prepared speech on the plane. You call in a few quotes. You get there. You never have time to call back in. If he deviates from the speech, you're back on the plane. It's just it's it's the awfulest rat race in the world. 
I think presidential races, uh, I think some of that has been modified with today's, with the fact that they everybody has laptops and everything and they can write while a plane's flying from point A to point B. Back in those days, it was all by tele. You had to call stuff in and you had to wait till the plane landed and you found a pay phone or whatever. Uh, anyway, I declined to go on that uh, 90, uh, 76 campaign uh, following Dole. Did Dole make any or some visits to the state during that campaign? I don't think so. Any more than in 96 when he was awarded the nomination, he never came to see the Kansas delegation in San Diego. You'll get to that later. So uh, the next race was in 1980 when uh, John Simpson was the uh, opponent, the Democrat. What was that like? John Simpson had been a Republican all his life, served in the state senate as a Republican, but he didn't like Bob Dole at all. He was very liberal for a Republican, and he didn't like Bob at all, and nobody else was stepping up to the plate. So he switched parties and ran as a Democrat against Bob, and uh, of course he had virtually no chance because uh, he, he, you know, he was painted as a turncoat Republican going after one of the heroes of the Kansas Republican Party. John was a, a nice guy, very bright guy, but he, he never had a prayer from the get-go, given his background of, of, of being a converted Republican. Of course, that was Dr. Roy, too, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Um, but, but Roy had done it some time before he ran against Dole. In 1985, uh, Dole became the uh, Republican leader. He was in elected Senate. in 84 yes. and yes. took office in 85. Uh, how did that play in, in Kansas? Well, uh, got great coverage, of course, out here. And uh, Kansas were, especially Republicans, were elated that they had had uh, a favorite son ascend to that. It, you know, it put him in the category with uh, Dwight Eisenhower and probably put him in a, in a higher category than Alf Landon because Alf got beat so badly. Uh, so it, it just elevated him to one of, uh, forever one of the icons of the Kansas Republican Party. The next race was in 86 against uh, an opponent, Guy McDonald. Yeah, he, he, uh, an absolute zero. <laughs> I don't want to mean to malign the guy, but the only reason he won a, re a Democratic primary was his name, and because because of the McDonald franchise, the restaurants <laughs> that people recognized the McDonald name, and you know it rang a bell. And I I can't tell you now who. The other candidates were, but they were equally nondescript, uh, unknown in the political world. And he won, in my opinion, strictly because his name was McDonald. <laughs> did did you or any of the others uh, journalists cover the Democratic primary and who was 
to no degree whatsoever because we knew that, you know, we covered other things, governor's race and what have you, because uh, that race was so, was decided before it began. Just to, um, to finish off here, then in 1992, it was Gloria O'Donnell. Odell. Odell. Right. And what, was, what comments do you have about that? Well, Gloria kind of came out of the blue to run for it. She really didn't have much. Uh, she had some credentials within the, of, of having worked in the Democratic Party, but uh, she had no other pro- uh, political credentials. She had uh, worked for nonprofit organizations, as I recall, and some women's or was was active in women's uh, issues. But uh, for her to and and here again, it's simply because there wasn't anybody else, in the, anybody of any stature in the Democratic Party that wanted to take on Bob Dole, and so she did it, and she thought she could get the women's vote and. Uh, Maybe the people were fed up with Bob Dole, and but she never stood a chance. She she made some allegations against him that kind of I think upset him or made him mad. But it was like a elephant flipping a fly off his back. <laughs> um. Let's turn to um, some of the issues that uh, Senator Dole was dealing with in Washington, both as a member of the Senate and as uh, the leader. Were some of those big issues out here? I would suspect like farm policy would be. Well, yeah, farm policy is is always a big issue in Kansas. And uh, uh, by that stage of the game, as far as the AP is concerned, we had a regional reporter for the AP who covered only Kansas and Missouri back there. And he concentrated on those issues as Senator Dole was dealing with them more than we were in the Topeka Bureau. We, you know, we touched on them virtually only when Senator Dole visited back here. We didn't, uh, we covered the legislature and, and state government and left unless it was a campaign, we left for this regional reporter who in those years was a young man named Barry Massey who had started with the AP with me here in Topeka and later became the State House correspondent in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And Barry would have covered Dole in those years. Did uh, Dole develop the reputation for being more uh, a national figure and less representative of Kansas interests? Oh, very much. Well, I'm, I'm not to say he uh, ignored Kansas issues, but he very much, very much became uh, a national figure and less and less needed to pay much attention to things back home and certainly didn't need to pay much attention to the Kansas press anymore. He was above that. He was a national figure dealing with national media and only when he came back here for some special occasion did we even have any contact with him. So if he's coming back less often uh, were his public appearances in the state then more significant or bigger affairs? 
No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say they changed much over the, when he would come back to Kansas. He was always a star at this Kansas Day observance each year in the, at the end of January, and he remained a star, and probably was you know even more, uh, even a bigger star the higher he moved in the Republican Senate hierarchy, and when he became the Senate. Uh, he was minority leader first. He never was majority leader, was he? Oh, yeah. In, what in, year did he become majority leader? Uh, in the Reagan years. Okay, he, and okay, then, okay. And then uh, after the 94, uh, 94 to 96, he was majority again. That's right, the, that's right. The Republican. Anyway, he, you can see my memory of him in Washington is a little hazy because I didn't cover him back there. But no, he was very much the national figure, and you know, Kansans, especially Republicans, were very, very proud of him and the and and the, and the powerful position he had in Washington, and they were very, very proud when he won the nomination for to be the Republican nom nominee for president. Did you cover many of his visits to Russell? Only when he made announcements. I don't remember him going. He. When he made trips out to Russell, generally they were unpublicized. We would find out about them after the fact that he popped in to visit his family. But I don't have a recollection of him going back to Russell very many times. He, uh, during the, he and Gerald Ford flew to Russell from the Kansas City Convention and then Dole, Dole announced there, made his formal announcement there in 88. In 96, he made his formal announcement here in Topeka and then went to Russell after that. But no, I, those are the only times I ever covered him in Russell. All right, we've come to the end of this tape, so I'm going to stop for a moment here. Just a moment. Very good. Okay. Um, were there times when, when uh, Kansans uh, were fed up with, with Bob Dole on any particular issue or where he, he didn't quite come across as uh, meeting their aspirations? Well, I'm sure Democrats could cite you any number of issues, but I, I don't recall any that stirred up the Republican base that got him crosswise with the Republican base. He, uh, uh, he generally, you know, he, he would be involved in things that were important to Kansas, uh, the Farm Bill, uh, uh, veterans issues, he was always very strong on those and, and Kansans recognized that and he uh, succeeded in any number of instances in acquiring funding for buildings and programs and uh, succeeded uh, in the early to mid 90s in getting several regional offices of federal agencies relocated from Kansas City, Missouri to Kansas City, Kansas. And uh, there's a brand new, well, it's not new now, but there's a newer federal 
courthouse building in Kansas City, Kansas that bears his name, and he secured the funding for that. At, at one point, um, there was the issue of, of the sale of wheat to the Soviet Union. And it's my understanding that kind of cut two different ways. One, why are we feeding communists? So we're against it. On the other hand, what are we doing with our wheat? Here's a major market. How did that play out in the state? Plays out very simple. It's black and white. You sell wheat to anybody you can sell it to. No, I remember it, it. There was a debate over it, but the bottom line is the Kansas wheat farmers uh, are more, much more concerned about the, their economic well-being than they are about international politics. And I don't think very many people were upset that we. They would love to sell more wheat to Cuba today, for example, than they're able to. And then when the American beef gets shut out of the Japanese market, as it has in recent years, over the mad cow issue, uh, that's very upsetting in Kansas, and they, they want to remove any obstacle to selling these agricultural products. What is the balance between um, agribusiness and the small farm? here in, in Kansas? How, what, what's the proportion, just generally? Well, it, in general, uh, Kansas probably has as high a percentage of small, quote, family farmers as any agricultural state, but they're continually diminishing and the giant farms increase Many of them in Kansas are family-owned. I mean, there, there are families and individual wheat growers in western Kansas that, that either own or control by lease, uh, you know, millions of acres of land that they plant to wheat. And in that sense, the, there are fewer family farmers, uh, and the uh, Kansas has resisted uh, the hog farm operations that you hear about that have caused controversy in places like North Carolina, and now they're causing controversy in Oklahoma because Kansas would not allow one of the one of the, the big pork producing companies to set up shop in Southwest Kansas, so they went across the border into the Panhandle of Oklahoma. And uh, that has caused controversy down there, but they have not, they have not, the corporate hog farming has not been allowed into Kansas, and, and that's in defense of the family farm. And there's two sides to that issue. There are a lot of, quote, family farmers or far, small farm operations that would love to have contracts with these big pork producing companies and sell their. Uh, hogs to them, uh, but we haven't had much of that. Uh, there's some contracting in southwest, my understanding is, in southwest Kansas now with the big uh, operations that have located across the border in the Oklahoma panhandle. Um, I've <clears throat> read somewhere that uh, that Bob Dole had real good relations with the man, had really good relations with the man that uh, in charge of um, Archer Daniel Midlands. 
Andreas. Uh, was he a better friend to ADM than he was to a little family farm or, or not? I don't, I, I don't know that I'm in a position to judge that. All I can tell you is that there are a lot of Kansans, especially Democrats, who think Bob Dole uh, got into bed a little too much with ADM and uh, there were stories of, of ADM flying him around during campaigns and that sort of thing. I don't know that any of it was proven and it never, uh, not enough of it became public to my knowledge. I have no knowledge of how strong his ties to ADM were, no personal knowledge, or what AB, ADM may have done for him. I just don't know. It never got public, public enough that we reported on it. Um, when uh, Bill Clinton became president, uh, Dole was pretty sharp with him and really didn't want anything, to, didn't want him to succeed in any legislative way. Uh, any comments on that? Well, I suspect it's because Bob has had it in a long time, and he's, in the, at least in the back of his mind, to run for president himself. He had tried it in 88, and then uh, I think he uh, anticipated trying it again, which indeed he did. So why would you want the person you're going to challenge to succeed? That's just the way the political game is paid, played. Um. I want to bounce around a little bit with some, some questions here. How, did, uh, how have Dole and Nancy Kassebaum, when they were both in the Senate, how, how did they work together or not work together? What was that like? Well, for public consumption, I think they were very compatible. But behind the scenes, I know there was a lot of friction between the two staffs. Uh, Senator Kassebaum's staff and her chief of staff once upon time at one at a, a big part of her 18 years there started out with me here in Topeka working for the AP. Went to Washington with the AP and then Nancy hired him off the national staff of the AP. And I know behind the scenes there, were, there, there was a lot of friction between the staffs and the Castlebaum staff always thought the Dole and his people were extremely arrogant and tried to run over her and there was a judgeship came up uh, in the late 18, 1980s and historically when a judgeship in Kansas came open, one senator would, take, would, would recommend the, the, the person and when a new one came up, the other senator would recommend a person to the White House. Well, in some Republicans' minds and in Alf Landon's mind, Nancy, of course, is Alf's daughter. He's very protective of her. In Alf's mind and other, some other Republicans, it was Nancy's turn, quote, turn, to recommend the next senator to the, or the next uh, U.S. District Court judge to the White House. Well, Nancy had a, had a, a nominee, uh, and whose name was uh, Tom Van Bibber. He had been he was a 
He had been a, he'd worked on the U.S. Attorney staff, he'd served in the legislature, he had been chairman of the Corporation Commission, and uh, he was a, a federal magistrate. I, I'm sorry, I got to back up. This was before he became, he, he got the federal magistrate's uh, appointment as a, kind of a consolation prize. Anyway, to make a long story short, Dole stepped in and nominated an old uh, law school classmate of his who had helped the senator get a divorce from his first wife. And indeed, this other uh, nominee uh, whose name was Sam Crow, who became a federal judge and is still in emeritus status on, status on the bench, uh, he, he got the, well, Alf was infuriated because in his mind, Dole had elbowed Nancy out of the way and, quote, stolen an appointment from her. And he wanted Nancy to go public and denounce Dole for doing this. And that was never Nancy's style. She, would ne she wouldn't have done that in a million years. Nancy was always deferred to Bob on the theory that he was a senior senator, uh, uh, much higher in the Republican hierarchy than she was, and so she she did nothing about it. And indeed, uh, her nominee Tom Van Bibber later uh, became a federal judge and had Senator Dole's support, but the support of both senators when he got it. So. This may be an unfair question to ask, but did they get back into sequence in terms of terms later on or uh, or not? Do you recall? Well, I don't remember that we had any more nominees. Well, then there was a period in there when they were, when Bill Clinton was president that you didn't nominate a Republican because he wasn't going to get nominated by President Clinton. So there were some Democrats in there, and I don't remember that uh, I think in those instances, I think it was more the party Democrats who had a, had a stronger say in who got nominated than the two senators. Dave Owen. What, what do you know about Dave Owen? Well, <laughs> I know quite a bit about Dave Owen. He was in the state senate when I came to Topeka, uh, got elected lieutenant governor back in the early 70s when we still elected the governor lieutenant governor on separate tickets and uh, was very close to Senator Dole, worked for Senator Dole, was a major fundraiser for him, was a major uh, colleague I think Senator Dole uh, leaned, relied on him a lot to keep things going smoothly back in Kansas while he was in Washington. In 1988, when Senator Dole first tried for the presidency, uh, Dave Owen was his emissary in New Hampshire, and there was a lot of grumbling back home that they went up there and spent some campaign money they had raised out in Kansas in a lost cause. And I know Republicans who were upset about that. 
And then uh, uh, Dave Owen remained a, a close confidant, to my knowledge, of Senator Dole, and worked. He, he didn't work, never worked on his staff, to my knowledge, but he worked behind the scenes, and he certainly worked on his campaigns. And then uh, Kansas, uh, the issue of paramutual wagering came before the legislature. And Dave Owen, and I don't know the background of how, but he tied up with Paul Bryant, Jr., the son of the legendary Alabama football coach, Bear Bryant. And Paul Jr. was b very interested on behalf of himself and a, a consortium he had of getting paramutual wagering legalized in Kansas to put a, a, a dog racing track uh, in the Kansas City, Kansas area. And he had, he had tracks in Alabama. And uh, he gave Dave Owen $100,000. This is all documented, reported, went to court. It's a matter of court record. He gave Dave Owen $100,000, and Dave got himself into trouble by not reporting it uh, on his income, on income tax of some companies he had influence over or controlled. And the upshot of it all was Bob Dole washed his hands of Dave Owen because he didn't want this budding scandal that close to him. And Dave indeed uh, served a year in prison and uh, Judge Van Bibber, who I alluded to earlier, uh, did the sentencing of him. And he has since, long since served his term and uh, I don't know what he's doing now, but I know he's back in in some kind of business in the Kansas City area. But that's my knowledge of what happened between him and Senator Dole. If, if things also happened personally between them that they got into some kind of dispute, I'm not privy to that. All I know is that Dave Owen got himself into these legal problems and Senator Dole just cut him off. I thought there was some issue about uh, Owen managing Elizabeth Dole's trust fund. There was indeed, and I'm hazy on the details of that because I don't think that much of that ever became public. It was never a court case. To my recollection, uh, That, in my memory, that was more rumor and speculation uh, than it was facts that we could report. Now, we sort of passed over the 1988 presidential campaign. Is there anything to say about that? Well, I think out here in Kansas, we mostly thought it was a non-starter from the from the beginning, uh, at least we in the press. I'm sure there were loyal Doyle, Dole Republicans who got fired up about it and thought it was going somewhere. 
but I don't think we in the press ever uh, thought it would get very far, and indeed it collapsed in New Hampshire. So why were, why were conditions quite different by 96? Dole had, had built a, 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 a major reputation uh, as the Republican leader of the Senate. Uh, he had uh, run as a vice presidential uh, nominee. Uh, and frankly, and I've heard other people say this, I think it was just Bob's turn. Republicans used to be that way. It was whoever was next in line. I think that a lot of people in the party thought they owed it to Bob. But uh, as uh, the speculation was, and as it turned out, it was true that at that point in time, Bill Clinton remained so popular that, that uh, Bob really never had much of a chance. Do you think he really wanted to be president? Oh, yes, I do. I do. And I, I'll go beyond that. I think he would have been a very good president. He was, he was, he was analytical. Uh, he was smart. Uh, he knew how to strike compromises in government. And that's one of our big problems since. Is, is the two factions are at loggerheads all the time in Washington. They can't get anything done. Bob Dole knew how to strike compromises when, when it was required. Not that he wasn't fiercely partisan. Everybody knows he was. And yet he knew how to get along with the other side when something really needed to be done. And, and, and he knew the ways of Washington. Maybe he knew them too well. Maybe that was a strike against him. But a, a bigger strike was that at that point in time, Bill Clinton, in my judgment, was just too popular and remains more popular <laughs> since leaving office, despite uh, what many consider he squandered in his presidency. There's always been the issue of the bad side of Bob Dole, the, the scowling, the angry, the quick to mouth off kind of reputation. Is that an accurate reflection? Is that just a minor part of the character? How, how do you see that? Bob Dole uh, was a very tough politician who had fought his way up to uh, lead his party in the United States Senate. And I don't know, he's a very complex personality, and I don't know how much his wartime experiences and his recovery from very severe wounds played into that and made him even a, a, a tougher personality than he was. But yes, he could be very tough. He could even be mean-spirited. And it came out behind the scenes in a lot of ways um, he could be short. In my dealings with him, he, he never was what I would call nasty to me. He always treated me fairly, and uh, he never cut me off other than that one time where he told him to hang up on me. <laughs> but we got, we, 
you know, we got along okay. We weren't we weren't around each other that much. And any time, like uh, he was back here at a Kansas Day event or whatever, uh, or or in his office, there were a few times when he called me to his office because he had a story he wanted to get out. And uh, it was always cordial enough, but I doubt, except with the possible exception of Elizabeth, I doubt Bob Dole has been a buddy of anybody in his adult life since, since his wartime experience. He's just always been distant in my judgment. Now there are people who tell you that's all wrong, that he can be the warmest, nicest guy in the world. Uh, I've got to say I seldom if ever saw that side of him in my professional dealings with him. So is it remarkable that, saying all that, that he was, has been such a successful politician? Yes, it is remarkable. Of course, he's always had a solid Republican base in Kansas that never turned on him, never wavered in their support of him. So he never had to really watch his hind flank like a lot of politicians have to do, especially those where the the voter registration's virtually a toss-up or they've got uh, potential tough opponents waiting in the wings to take them on. Bob never really had that. Bill Roy, other than Bill Roy, uh, you know, Bob Dole never really had a really tough campaign in Kansas, a knockdown dragout like that 74 campaign. What would you estimate, estimate would have, what would you estimate would have been the number of contacts over your professional career that you had with, with Senator Dole? Just real ballpark figure. Twenty-nine years, oh, probably two or three a year for maybe four for twenty-nine years. I suppose the ballpark between eighty and a hundred. One-on-ones or oh no, or no 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 just just being with him him making appearances here for a news conference, uh, cornering him at an event to ask him questions, uh, his announcements. That sort of thing. No, there wouldn't be that many one-on-one. We weren't, I wasn't his reporter by any stretch of the imagination. When was your last contact with him? <laughs> the letter I received to him to do this interview was the last contact. I've, but speaking? Face-to-face? Oh boy! So it was when he came. I, I would guess it's when he, after the '96 unsuccessful '96 campaign, he came back the next year in '97 to thank the home folks for all they had done for him in his political career, and that's probably the last time I talked to him face to face. So it's been ten years now. And what kind of an event was that? What was that like? Well, he had a series of events. He went to Russell. He came to Topeka. I think he went to Wichita. 
and they invited Republicans and others, they were public events, to come so Senator Dole could publicly thank the people of Kansas for all the support they'd given him over the years. Were those melancholy events or were they exuberant? No, no I would call them melancholy events. They were kind of, actually, they were kind of like celebrations of his political career, even though he'd lost the presidency. Uh, they weren't there weren't people wearing sackcloth and renting their garments because he had because this was this was quite a few months after the 96 uh, election and uh, I would I would classify them more celebrations of his long political career and what he had done for Kansas what was Kansas's reaction to his resigning from the Senate shock Nobody expected it uh, because he had such a powerful position, uh, and they everybody just assumed he would hang on to the Senate seat and finish out his term if he got defeated. So it came as a bolt out of the blue when he did it, and it took a, it took the Republicans in Kansas, except those who were in the know. In fact, some of the people who were pretty close to Dole, it took them by surprise that I knew. Uh, and then, of course, it, 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 it triggered a series of events that uh, led to the rise of uh, Sam Brownback in politics because... Uh, 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 the governor at the time, Bill Graves, appointed his lieutenant governor, Sheila Fromm, to replace Bob, and then they had to have an election in the fall of 96 to, to decide his successor, and Brownback ran for that, challenged Fromm for it, and it was a fairly bitter campaign and Brownback won that campaign and uh, then won re-election and then uh, uh, rose in the estimation of uh, uh, the cultural Republicans, conservative Republicans, until he could uh, uh, run for the Republican nomination for the presidency in 2007. You've used the term cultural Republican quite a few times, or several times today. Define that term. The hot-button issues of abortion, gun control, school prayer, culture is important to them. Some might call them, they would call them values. To me, it's, it, 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 I, I don't like the term religious right. I don't like the term religious conservative, so I call them cultural, or I have for long. In fact, in my writing, I called them cultural conservatives. It was kind of a catch name that I think people caught on to, and they knew who you were talking about. It's like we now call, the other side are called moderate Republicans. 30 years, 30, 40 years ago, those were the conservative Republicans. Now they're the moderate Republicans because these uh, religious slash cultural evangelical Republicans have co-opted the, the conservative end of the spectrum from them.
I've, there was a former uh, member of the Republican National Committee from uh, Topeka, uh, I'm sorry, he's from Wichita, who said, uh, you know, he used to consider himself as conservative as, as there was in the Republican Party, and he said, I don't know when I became a moderate, but that's what they call me now. <laughs> I think uh, we might end on a question I have here. If, uh, if it wasn't me sitting here, but it was Bob Dole suddenly, would you have any sort of questions you might immediately come to mind you'd like to ask him? or Well, I, I think I would ask him if he wished, ever wished he had exhibited a little bit softer personality in the old days because he came across as very harsh personality for a lot of years. Uh, some would even say mean. And I, I never could understand. I always thought he didn't have to be that way. He could have been a, a lot, he could have softened that a lot and still been just as popular. Uh, and like I said earlier, I don't know how much of that uh, came out of his uh, war experience and his wound experience and his uh, clawing his way. In his mind, he had to be that way to claw his way to the top politically. I don't know how he would, he would rank that or anybody else. Twenty years from now, how do you think people will look back on Bob Dole? Oh, I think they will look back and say he was a uh, strong Republican leader of the United States Senate who uh, might have been president but had certain uh, personality flaws that caused a lot of voters to uh, question whether he was a person they were comfortable with. And I think that as much as Bill Clinton's popularity at the time kept Bob from being president. Have we left anything unsaid today that uh, occurs to you? I can't think of a thing. Uh, I, I greatly admire Bob Dole and what he did, and I respect what he did, and I mean it very honestly. I wish he could have softened up his public image at that period, critical period in his career when he might have come across as a nicer guy and it might have gotten him even farther in politics. Uh, the, a lot of people uh, remember how nasty he came across in that vice presidential debate and a lot of people it never left their minds and I always thought he, he didn't need to do that. He didn't need to be the popular political phrase is a hatchet man. Uh, Gerald Ford, in my opinion, didn't need that, and Bob Dole didn't need to fill that role, but somebody, he or somebody told him, 
I guess, to do it. And I, uh, on his behalf, I've always regretted he came across like that. Thank you.